Hi guys, it's Josh Rubin here with our latest episode of the Rubin Special live from New York City. I'm joined by my friend Doug Edrington from Chattanooga, Tennessee. How is it going down in Chattanooga today, Doug? It's going amazing. Beautiful day out, heading on vacation tomorrow, uh, so can't be better. I'll bet. Where are you guys headed on vacation? Uh, Sarasota, Florida. Going to go get some sun rays down in Florida. Maybe, maybe I don't know, isn't that close to Byron? Maybe pop in and say hey to him. I don't know. <laughs> Our friend Byron Lazine, who is the uh, honorary mayor of Naples, Florida, likes to go down there for a few weeks a, a year and uh, vacation with his wife, of course. But I think Byron is back on the Connecticut shoreline doing what he does best, and that's leading his team up there. So, Doug, tell us, you know, you're leading this team at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services in Chattanooga. Uh, you made the transition over there, what, about a couple years ago now, if I'm not uh, two years ago, Two years ago last month. Cool. Well, congratulations on your two-year anniversary. Um, tell us a little about sort of the dynamics of the team in today's market. I know you've been hit with a couple challenges, not the least of which have been a pandemic and a tornado hitting smack dab in the middle of Chattanooga. That's correct. That's correct. So, you know, uh, we have been doing really good right now. I've been super proud of our team. It's been a lot of hard work, of course. You know, I, I, I think that your pandemic and your world is uh, probably a little crazier in New York City area than it is in Chattanooga. But at the same time, yeah, we had tornadoes hit us in uh, actually Easter Sunday is when it hit. And, wow. you know, I think there was, don't quote me on this, but I want to say like 350 homes that were a complete loss, but then there was 12, 1300 homes that were, were, um, you know, displaced people from homes because of remodeling and that sort of thing. So that was, that was Easter and, you know, COVID hit like early March. So honestly, the tornadoes really helped our business as sad as it is from everything that, you know, there were lives lost, there were people displaced from homes, but, you know, we were really prepared for the opportunity that strikes. You know, you, you may have heard the the definition of luck. It's when opportunity and preparation meet. And yep. um, you know, as soon as as soon as COVID hit, uh, I think we were probably the only office, real estate office in uh, Chattanooga that actually closed down. We closed down wow. on March 16th, and because we've been operating via Zoom, we've been using technology already, so it wasn't a big deal. We're like, let's just be safe, you know, about it, and continue pushing forward. Lots of training. We've been uh, trying to create a conference high um, during this whole situation because people need that inspiration. So I've had speakers from all over the country talking to our team and our company about um, you know what they're doing, challenges they've been through. Uh, Brandy Laffins in Chico, California, a couple of years ago, they had a uh, 90% of their town burnt down. And so like we learned a lot from them. I've got some friends down in uh, uh, Texas and Louisiana where they've been hit by in Florida where they've been hit by oil spills and hurricanes. And so it was just like, let's talk about the good that came from all of this. And I think it really improved, um, you know, our, our scenario. I know the Edrington team is set right now. We're like two units away from breaking a record for next month, uh, for the month of June. We're just two units away from breaking a record for all time since we've been open for a little over two years. So, I mean, things are, things are actually surprisingly good. That's incredible. So you're talking about volume wise, you're two units away from setting a record for, for the month or for any month? Uh, for, for the month of uh, – for a month since we've been open in our brokerage. I want to say we, we were solely a team before we owned the brokerage, and I think the most we ever did in a month was a little over 60 units. Um, we're set to do – the team is set to do, I want to say, 43 units right now for next month. And actually, December of last year, we hit 46 
Wow. So we're just that's we're trying to be we're trying to beat December. As crazy as that sounds, <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Doug. And, and tell me a little bit about uh, sort of the team and how many people are on it, uh, you know, right now because it's a lot, you know, to to do you know forty plus units in a month. I mean, some people don't do that in two years. Sure, sure. So we've got sixteen salespeople. Um, I'd say out of the sixteen, uh, probably five of them are pretty green right now. We, we we've been hiring a lot lately, so we got some new people. Um, but we're sixteen salespeople, marketing director, director of operations. Um, we've got uh, you know a couple other people on the support side to, to help us out. But you know the real push is sixteen salespeople. Two of those are mentors. One of those are also our director of recruiter as well to help out. So we've got a couple people that wear two hats. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a pretty solid support network then in place with, you know, with these other agents, right? 1000%. We would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the team. I mean, it really is a, it really is a true team sport for us. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you point that out because, you know, as, as a team lead, you know, I've had many occasions where, you know, people have gone on vacation or for whatever reason, uh, you know, they're, they're out of the office whether it be, you know, medical leave, you know, somebody's sick and, and you really do feel the dynamic pretty quickly as soon as that person, you know, leaves. And, and, you know, it's incredible how reliant you are on these people and, and it's important that you find the right people. So tell me a little bit about the, the support staff and how you've sort of honed in on the right balance of not only the number of people, but the type of people that you have and making sure that, that you know, just the the complexion of the support staff is is just the right way. On the support staff side, so you know, it's it's got to be a healthy. When you think sales team and support staff, they're almost like two separate teams, right? And it's really important that they are aligned with each other. So so a lot of our support staff is involved in our trainings. They're involved in our meetings. I think earlier on in our business, we we kept them very separated, and it definitely became black and white. We realize we got to keep the cultures together. So we highly recommend having your sales and your support staff very involved. Even our marketing director is part of our sales trainings. So as she's trying to create content, she understands what we're doing. So having those things aligned are, are very important. Um, you know, when we hire, we think of a couple things on either side, sales or support, hungry, humble, smart with swag. Um, you know, we are salespeople. Um, you, you can't, you can't be awkward in first impressions because first impressions really kind of can either make it or break it. Right. So hungry, humble, smart with some swag. And, um, but I think one of the biggest things that I've focused on this year, uh, that I want to move forward in is, is when we hire somebody, do they actually, are they own, do they feel like they're an owner in the team? And, and I don't mean like monetarily, I mean, I mean, do they take ownership in the team or are they renting a place from us right now? Are we just a placeholder in their, their journey? And I know we don't own people and they're not going to stay with us forever and ever and ever. I hope they don't because I hope they grow past us and, and make good decisions in life. But when it comes to, to the, the question, you know, I, I, I'm not sure who our audience is other than probably a ton of realtors and a bunch of your clients. But, you know, when they're thinking about the people that are on their team, if you ask each individual on your team or ask yourself about each individual on the team, like, do they own this team or are they just, are are they just renting a space? Like when there's a problem, do they say that's not my job or do they jump in, fix the problem that they got in front of them and take a step back and say, how do we, how do we systemize this to where, um, you know, I don't have to be fixing everybody's problems because that, that becomes stressful and taxing too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's important that we take ownership of our success 
right? And celebrate our successes. But, you know, when there's something to address, like a mistake, uh, you know, it's important to own up to that too as early as possible. I, I look at mistakes, Doug, as almost like, you know, having, having a property where, you know, you come there after, let's say you come home after a vacation and you find a flood, right? Now, are you just going to say, close the door and turn around and go back on vacation and say, oh, I'll deal with it another day? Or are you going to figure out, you know, where the flood is coming from, shut the water off and, you know, clean it up and make sure that it doesn't happen again? I mean, that's really what you have to do. You know, I, I sold a property a number of years ago. I was representing the seller on it and it was a top floor penthouse and it had this beautiful outdoor terrace. And, uh, you know, of course it had irrigation, so it had water and up here in the Northeast, the winters can be pretty severe. So what happened was in the wintertime, no one told the new owners that they had to turn off the shutoff valve leading to the terrace. So they went away and they came home and there was a flood because the uh, pipe leading to the terrace froze. And so what did they do? You know, they didn't, they didn't, you know, sort of blame the, themselves and figure out how to fix it. They turned around and they blamed me as the seller's agent for not telling them that, that there was a shutoff valve. I said, well, you know, you, you need to shut off the water. You know, I had to like teach them how to do all these things, thinking that, you know, as a homeowner, you kind of know how to winterize your home. So you really have to be able to address, you know, the, these issues up front and know in advance how to fix them and, and take ownership, even if it's not your problem. If you see somebody trip in the street and say, well, you know, it's not me who's tripping in the street and fell. It's, you know, it's everybody's problem around. So you really have to pitch in. So that's a, that's a good point. Now, you know, you have this team, uh, you pivoted over to, uh, to Brown Harris, I'm sorry, Brown Harris, Berkshire Hathaway. Brown Harris. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> similar right? yeah. similar uh, initials. It's a firm yeah. here in the city. Uh, gotcha. I think very highly of, but, but Berkshire Hathaway, what made you, what made you shift? Cause you had a pretty successful career at your prior brokerage. So what made you make that shift? You know, uh, what's interesting is, is at the brokerage that we were at before we, we made a lot of progress progress. We learned a lot being in that environment. That environment was great for us to get us to where we're at, but you know, the old saying, what got you here won't get you there. And, and I remember sitting down with my broker at the time and saying like, Hey, here's my situation. I, I want to, you know, we sold, Remember, I remember it very clearly. We sold 491 homes that year. And it was, it was, it was a great year, right? And it was, we we're coming up on the, we were in the fourth quarter and it was, it was kind of my routine at the fourth quarter. I want to sit down with my broker and I wanted them to tell them what I wanted to do. Cause anything I ever did in our brokerage usually caused them some stress, you know, and some headache. And so, and you know, it does, it does. And so I sat down, I said, Hey, you know, we're at this size team. We want to grow to this size team. And I want to sell this many houses. And, and I basically got told, uh, you know, you know, Doug, you work really hard and you make pretty good money. Like, when's it ever going to be enough? And like, oh my God, like my face probably turned pale white or beet red. I'm not sure which one it was because I was just like, who am I talking to? You know, <laughs> you know, like, like, I, I, I don't understand. And, and you know what I had to, what I had to now that I can have some time to sit back and reflect on it, um, just because it's, it's good for me means it may not mean it's good for somebody else. Right. And so, sure. so there, I was going to put a lot of stress on them. I was going to put a lot of, uh, expectations on them. But what I realized is that 
we weren't a good fit anymore because I was basically surrounding myself with people that weren't helping me reach my fullest potential. So we did a bunch of interviewing. I mean, we interviewed a ton of people of other companies at that point. I mean, it was instant at that mode of like, this isn't going to work long-term because I need to have a mentor. I need to have a leader that's going to help me become the best that I can be. Right. And so we went shopping and what I learned from it all was, is that a lot of, a lot of the, the local brokerages, now Chattanooga is a lot smaller than New York city, of course, but you know, I, I didn't really find that mentorship that I was seeking. So we decided to go to a higher level. Um, Gino Bafari, who was the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway home services at the time. And then now is the CEO of the mother company, Home Services America, you know, reached out to him and just said, Hey, I got to find a way to, to, to work with this organization, probably on our own brokerage at this point. Now I don't recommend anybody necessarily to open up their own brokerage. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to it. Um, but you know, generally speaking, it's about finding good mentorship. So if you're watching this video and you're sitting here saying, you know, when I go to my team leader, when I go to my broker, when I go to my, my mentor, um, is that person pushing me outside of my comfort zone? Are they giving me opportunities? And I don't mean handing you an opportunity, but are they giving you the environment where you can create your own opportunities in there to help you reach, you know, your true potential. And uh, so, so Gina was a big part of that, um, you know, always challenges me uh, along the way. And so, uh, you know, I feel very honored to have that relationship with somebody that high up in the, in the industry, but, you know, going back to like, if someone's wanting to take something away from this for sure, is the old saying, you know, you are who, you know, what, like you're, uh, you're an addition of the five people that you surround yourself with. You're most likely sure. those people, right? Um, yep. You should really challenge yourself on that. Uh, one of my best friends in my wedding, after a certain point, I had to cut them out of my life. One of the hardest things I've ever done um, really? because it was really tough because I felt as I could help that person, but there became a point where I felt like I wanted it more than they did. And so either I'm going to pull him up or he's going to pull me down. And, and if I can't pull him up, there's sure as hell not letting him pull me down. And so, you know, that was one of the, t that was really one of the really hard decisions I've made in my life. But, but because of that, it's opened up more doors for me. It's, it's, you know, you, you, you only have so many time, so much time as an individual to invest in others. We've got a mastermind group. We meet every single week. Like that's tough, right? You and I know, like sometimes we're coming to the call, like last minute, hanging up on a phone call, but we all value that time because we can all add value to each other. So right. really surround yourself with the right people. And that also maybe your employer or your broker or mentor, whoever, you know, team leader, whatever that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, you know, that, that says a lot. And so how did you get into the business? I'm curious. Cause you know, I mean, the, the Doug Edrington that I know is this guy that just like knocks it out of the park year and you're out four to 500 homes sold, you know, you have this team, you have your setbacks, but you're still, you know, cranking out the volume, you know, you, you pivoted and you created this sort of, you know, brand within a national franchise a couple of years ago, but like, where, where did you get your start? Where did it start? So I'll go way back. I was 15 years old and my dad, who has been a salesperson his whole life. I mean, he's been, he worked for uh, the automobile industry, started as a car salesman, worked his way up to a dealer operator. And then he was uh, the rep for a large manufacturing company, automobile manufacturing company in the Southeast. He bought a house in a, uh, Ultawa, Tennessee, um, on three acres. And it had a second house on the property. The reason he did that is because my grandmother was at a point where she needed to be closer to family. So it, it kind of all worked out. Well, he had a, we, our families were good friends with another family and it was night and day for my dad. My dad taught me how to be a salesperson, taught me how to work hard, taught me how to do a lot of really 
great things. This other guy who I jokingly refer to as my second dad, he taught me how to swing a hammer because my dad called him up and said, Hey, I'm about to pay a contractor remodel this house. Will you, um, can I give you a couple hundred bucks a week or a month to, to just watch the contractors? My dad's like, I don't want to get screwed. You know, my dad will sell ice to an Eskimo, but he doesn't know which way to turn the, the light bulb, you know, that kind of guy. And I don't mean that in an insulting way by any means. And, you know, Doug, he's staying you, his lane. you are, you are preaching to the choir. It just took me two weeks to install a ceiling hung bike rack in my garage. Okay. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. You, we're, we got to work on that. We got to work on that. But, um, so anyways, this other guy's name's Vic. Uh, Vic says, you know, he tells my dad, your son's 15. My son's 14. It's about time they learn how to do something. And he says, we're just going to do it ourselves. So we basically tore the house down and built a new house in two years, learned a lot. Um, he taught me, he took me, he had a, he has a bunch of rental property in Nashville. So he'd take me up on the weekends and we'd work on houses. And I got really intrigued by that. Um, yeah. when I turned, when I turned 18, I decided I wanted to flip a house and I was going to school to be an electrical engineer. Don't really know why. Definitely not my lane. Um, but, uh, that's, that was like the path I was headed in. And, uh, and, uh, anyways, I decided I want to flip a house. So grandma co-signed on a loan with me to buy the first house for like 40 grand. Um, my parents helped me get credit cards for Lowe's and Home Depot and that sort of thing. And I flipped my first house. And throughout that process, my mother, Grace, was like, at the time, she's like, hey, I should get into real estate. There was some influence from another family <laughs> member in Florida. And she said, she get in real estate. My dad's like, hey, I'll get my license and I'll retire doing this one day. And next, and then shortly after I got my license, uh, I turned 19 when I was in real estate school. And, um, and so ever since then, we just kind of got started and started pushing and we were just like everybody else our first year as a family team so we were a team from day one we sold like 13 houses and so like that doesn't do you a whole lot when your average price point's like 95 grand like that's like your average commission right <laughs> so so like cool. you know different in chattanooga and this was 15 years ago and so uh so we got started we we pushed and pushed and pushed um, we slowly grew. We're like 13 houses the first year, maybe 30 houses the next year. Um, we worked our way up to 100 houses. Now, as the years gone by, obviously, I'm maturing from being a young adult to a still a young adult. <laughs> I'm like 22 now and um, about to get married. And my wife looks at me and she's like, are you going to be gone all this time? Are you going to work this hard? Are you going to like, and it was the wake up call. And uh, no joke, my wife laying in bed one night, my wife YouTubes how to run a real estate team and says, Doug, can you please just watch a video and figure out a better way to do it? No joke whatsoever, because we were just killing ourselves. And it was actually a guy by the name of Ben Kenny, who's out of Seattle or out of uh, Bellingham, Washington. And he's got like an hour and a half long YouTube video. He's just sitting in his office, his assistant sitting behind him. And he's like, people ask me all the time how to run a real estate team. So I thought I'd make a video about it. <laughs> and he, he talks about systems, process, processes, a CRM, online lead gen, reviews, and, and more importantly, delegation. And so from that, I watched that video like 10 times. And, and of course, like now that years have gone by, my wife's corrected me and told me that she found the video and I didn't, which is very true. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I watched it and we went from 100, we were stuck at 100 houses for a couple years in a row. To the next year, we sold, uh, I think it was 228 homes the following year. And it was like explosion. And it was all about delegation. So I don't think the message is always like start a team. 
it's be a part of a team, whether it's you're joining someone's team that has that delegation figured out so you can do what you enjoy the best. Cause I hated the paperwork. I hated the marketing side of it. I hated dealing with, you know, all the stuff that typical salespeople hate dealing with. And when I was able to delegate that out, it started to click and then it just went up from there. Um, so, you know, uh, we got a coaching, uh, quite a while back ago and, and, you know, it, it, I learned a lot from my coach and I learned a lot from the coaching organization that we're a part of. Um, but you know, I, I learned, I probably learn the most from being around the people that have been in it the longest, like people like you, you know? And so, so, you know, I've got people that call me up all the time and they say, Hey, I'm thinking about getting a coaching and I'm broke. And I'm like, why don't you just join a team? You know, why don't you just kind of learn from that first yeah, it's and true. then maybe coaching will be next because you're going to have a coach that you're already built into your paycheck. No risk, yeah. no fixed cost. Right. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. Well, you know, a little I, backstory I, on me. When, when, when I got into the business, there were no teams. Nobody had teams. It was everybody for themselves. And you know, you, you get a lead and you fight like hell to, you know, do, do the best you can for them and hope that they refer you. And then it's sort of onto the next open house and, I hope that you get another lead. <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that's really all that there was back then. Um, and, you know, when I transitioned from Corcoran over to Douglas Elliman in 2008, that's when sort of teams were just taking hold. And there were a few, there were probably four or five top brokers in the city, like of any brokerage. We were all in this office on 17th Street, right? It was me. It was Leonard Steinberg who is now a, a friend and someone that I look up to. The chief evangelist is his title at Compass. Uh, he was like the, the number one big hire. Uh, he would be like the, you know, essentially like the president of Compass if it weren't for him changing his title. Um, Darren Sukenik and uh, Andrew Anderson, Brian Meyer and uh, Dylan Hoffman were there. And Brian Meyer and Dylan were actually those people that introduced me to coaching and the idea of coaching. And so, and they had their little teams or sort of, they were like the nucleus and then they had people radiating from them. And then I started to think about it over the course of that next year into 2009. And that's when I said, number one, I'm going to get into coaching. Number two, I'm going to start a team. And you're right. When you start to delegate, then you're able to free yourself up to do more of what you truly love. And some people truly love selling homes and some people truly love managing people. And so you kind of figure out what you're most passionate about and you kind of get in that lane and anything else that has to do with paperwork has to do with CRM management has to do with marketing has you know, anything that you're not into, you just delegate it out. And so, but that's the beautiful thing about a team is that if you're starting out, you have the support network and you're able to uh, sort of delegate those things away. So, you know, here in the city, we don't do home inspections, but we do do co-op and condo applications. And let me tell you, you've never done paperwork in this business until you've done one of those applications. And we have, we have that nucleus that does the applications for our agents. So on the rare occasion that one of those people on the team who handles the, the uh, transaction management is out and the agent is getting paperwork from their client for the application and, you know, they're like, wow, this is crazy. I, you know, I could never do this. And you know what? They're, they're right. It's impossible. I remember when I was an individual agent at Corcoran, sitting down on the floor of my office with papers spread out, 
You know how people do their tax returns and they have statements and receipts and it's all scattered all over their living room? That's how it was. Exactly. (laughs) The paperwork was scattered and I was just like, oh my God. And, you know, that's when I realized I needed an assistant. But you're right. You got to have these layers of, of integral operations that you don't even realize. You think, oh, I can do this. I can go sell a house. I can, you know, I'm good with people. I can open up a door. I can turn on lights. I know my way around town. Well, that's not even half of it, right? I mean, you, you really got to think about the back end and you got to have the team uh, and you have to have somebody who's going to act, as you said earlier, like your relationship with Gino, who's going to act as a mentor and be able to sort of guide you, you know, and, and sort of understand what lies ahead and how to overcome these challenges. So, um, you know, that's pretty interesting, though, that you, your dad and your mom sort of came up in the business together. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Everybody thinks it's generational, but really it's uh, <laughs> kind of all started at the same time, you know. And, and you know, one other note to think about, too, is for, for your audience that is in the business and they're trying to figure out how to get better. I think one of the best strategies to become an expert in this business is to shadow an expert. Okay. Shadow an expert as many appointments as you possibly can. The problem with shadowing an expert, like you can shadow an expert one time. Like there's tons of people in your marketplace. If you're an agent, listen to this, who will, who will probably let you pick their brain. will let you go on one appointment with them maybe, but there becomes a point where they're like, Hey, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you shadow me for months at a time here because like you're my competitor, right? Right. What's in it for me? Right. What's in it for me is what they're all saying. And, and most of the time you're not at a place to pay that person, nor are they in a place probably to receive compensation to coach because they're not coaches. They're just great salespeople sometimes. Right. And so, so I think one of the best things you can do in, in this business, if you're like not where you want to be is find the brokerage, that has the broker that'll let you shadow find the team that has the team leader that'll let you shadow part part of our organization is is uh like within my team we have two mentors okay underneath me that train all of our new agents and so when someone comes onto our team um throughout the we have a certification process that we take them through contracts phone scripts and then um, buyer presentation, and there's a lot more to it, but just to dumb it down, there's like three certifications they have to pass before they're allowed to even talk to a single one of our customers. But during that process and for an ongoing period after that process, our new agents are assigned homework assignments to shadow a number of agents across our team, high level, medium level, getting out started into actually um, give a written critique of how it went. What were their aha moments? What were their takeaways? Now, the the written critique is really important because it's one thing to go on an appointment and like, I, you know, there's been new agents have gone on an appointment with a great agent on our team or myself. Like, man, that was amazing. Like, how did you think that fast on your toes? Like, how did you know that answer? How did you overcome that objection? Or like they threw you a wild curveball. You know, I I remember one time specifically where uh, I was at a listing presentation at a way high pr- high price point, like seven hundred thousand dollars, which is way high in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right? <laughs> and you're, you're laughing at me. It's, I'm still in like your commission check world, and so uh, <laughs> so I remember like going on that appointment, and I had someone shadowing me, and the guy said, "How many homes have you sold on the mountain?" There's one of these mountains called Signal Mountain over here. How many homes have you sold in the mountain over five hundred thousand dollars? Now 
The reality is, this is years ago, um, I think we had sold like three. Okay. Our competitor they was talking to had sold hundreds of homes, right? And I think we had sold three. We had two active listings over five hundred thousand and one and one um and one we did not sell. There was one we didn't sell. And I remember saying, you know, that's an interesting question. Let me actually show you all of the sales that we've done up here over five hundred thousand. I pull up my computer and it's like zip code, price point, there's like five. And he looks at me kind of funny and he says, I want to take you through each one of these experiences. This customer, here's what happened. Here's how they hired me. Here's the success story we had. I did that three times. The next one, I said, I've had this one listed for two and a half years. And he looks at me kind of funny. And I said, you know, I'm not proud that I have had this house for two and a half years, but it says a lot that the seller is willing to stick with me for two and a half years to sell this very unique property that money is not a motivation for him. So we're fishing. So we're working together. And it says a lot about someone to hang in there with you for two and a half years. This third person, this third says, a lot, actress, says a lot about you as the agent to hang in there for two and a half years. About. And, yeah. then, and then the last one, the last one, I talked about how we didn't sell it. It shows that it's not a sale, but we leased the property because it made the most sense for the person at the time. And I said, I have a perfect record. No one's fired me. I've not let anybody down. In this price point. Now, can I show you the same stats in the rest of the town? And and you know, and just that you know, I listed that house. And my competitor, who has way more statistical swagger than I do in that area, um, he actually interviewed him and, and he felt he was scared that he was gonna be a number in that guy's world. Cause I also pulled up, I'm sure your MLS is the same way you can pull up stats on any agent. We saw that 35% of the homes he listed he didn't sell. And I don't think he has enough time to go through all the stories of why he didn't sell those houses, you know? So, so I think, you know, there's, there's always a way and a strategy. The mentee that was with me got to see that. And I made them document everything after, because it's all about, uh, what's the book? Um, not a military guy, but I read the book. It was awesome. I listened to it. David Goggins can't hurt me. It can't, can't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Can't hurt me. And in that book and whoever's listening to this, it's military based knows exactly what this is called. I can't remember the name of it, but after a, a, uh, a project, I know a project's not the right word, but after, mission. A, after a, mission a mission that they're going through after every yep. mission, including drills, not even real yep. life, they have to document how it went, what went well, where's the room for improvement. And that's mm-hmm. so they can make forward progress because what you think in the moment and what you think after the fact is, is two different things. And also, if you don't document how those experiences go, you never have the opportunity to reflect it. You start giving yourself, um, uh, uh, you know, I did a video one time on this. It was called shame, blame, and justification. You know, you're either feel shameful of that you didn't succeed. You blame it on someone else, or you justify the reason of why it didn't go down and you learn nothing. Yeah. So the whole purpose of, of documenting that situation and reporting to their mentor of what they learned from it that's where all the magic happens. So full circle, it's almost, all the way like, back it's around. almost like, well, it, it is, it's like a form of journaling your experience. So, yeah. you know, and when you write things down, it's almost like you're, you're, you know, committing them to, to your memory and your broader experience so that you don't just kind of cut out in such a way that like, okay, well that happened. It's behind me. And I learned my lesson. I'm going to go on. And then next thing you know, you're doing the same thing over again and making the same mistakes. And if you had yeah. just journaled your experience from before, you'd be journaling your success, but you'd also be journaling your, your, your mistakes and what could use a little bit more work 
And so therefore you're going to have a better overall experience. Thousand percent. And to bring it full circle back all the way around, it's about shadowing because we have a, we have a philosophy. We don't practice on paychecks. I'd rather you shadow someone that knows what they're doing so you can learn the, the, the right ways to do it, document that. Now, when you go out on your own, you still do the same thing for a certain period of time. And so, but shadowing the mentor is huge. So make sure you're in an environment where you have that ability because that is by far the number one thing you can do in this business is shadow success and learn from their mistakes. Doesn't mean yeah. you have to mirror them, but you get to learn from them and you can decide, do I want to mirror this person? Or is that something I never want to do? Because <laughs> you know, that didn't go well, but you learn from it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to what we were discussing earlier on in the conversation, which is to just, you know, understand what, what you did right, what you did wrong, you know, sort of own up to it and be able to course correct and carry on. So with that, my friend Doug Edrington from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the Edrington team at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciated your time and your incredible insights, Doug. Hey, thanks for having me, Josh. You bet.